Welcome to the Harnessing Happiness podcast. Upbeat vibes generated and transferred to you. Now here's your host, Sarah J. Naylor. Hello and welcome to Harnessing Happiness with myself, Sarah J. Naylor. This is a Harnessing Happiness episode with a slight difference. I decided um, throughout the month of January 2023 to revisit some of the best and well-received episodes during the last 15 months. Can you believe it? 15 months of Harnessing Happiness with myself. It's just wow, wow, wow. Anyway, I decided to pick out some of the best that you may have heard before, but it's always worth re-listening to because there'll always be something fresh and new that you will get from listening to something differently at a different time because of the experiences you've had in the meantime. And also for those that you might have missed them. And there's a couple in there that are of the earlier episodes that really, I think, were missed because obviously my podcast hadn't been downloaded in quite so many countries when I first started out. And so during January, this is one of, I think, five episodes that uh, I just wanted to revisit and share with you um, again. So whilst I'm busy recording some fabulous new content, please do enjoy this and the other four that you might be listening to or the other three or wherever you've got to in terms of listening. And uh, yeah, look out for the new stuff or tune in, download all the things that you do do. So over and out, enjoy listening to this episode again. And uh, yeah, I look forward to uh, reconnecting with you during February with some fabulous new content that will have been recorded in the interim. Take care until next time and enjoy this episode. Take care. Bye. Thank you, Sarah. And thank you so much for having me as well. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. It always is a pleasure to be a guest on, on anyone's show and, uh, you know, and have that opportunity to share my story and get my message out there is always a great honour of mine. So my name's Jamie McCanch, and I know that we will talk in much depth about who I am and where I've come from during the show. But in a nutshell, I'm the guy that left school with nothing. I was the guy that was told by my maths teacher the only numbers I'd ever make up were the numbers in a benefits queue. Uh, oh. My English teacher, I, I know, I know. It really is that real. Uh, my English teacher told me I had no concept of the English language. He wasn't necessarily wrong, but he wasn't necessarily motivational either. I then, years later, you know, became disabled. And then I was the guy that was constantly told what I couldn't do. And now, sort of eight years down the line, I'm an author. I'm a poet. I'm an adventurer. I'm a disability advocate. I'm a pioneer. I'm a record holder. I'm a professional athlete. I've climbed Everest. Yeah, I'm now the guy that says, don't listen to those that tell you that you can't listen to the one that tells you that you can. And I'm definitely the one that tells you the only person that should have any control over you is the person you look at in the mirror in the morning. So yeah, I'm a massive advocate for a positive approach to things. So when I was asked to do this show, not to sound too big headed, but I get asked a lot to do shows. And I've got to that point now where I choose my audiences and I choose the people I want to work with. So when I was asked to come and do this one and, and and literally the ethos of the show is positive attitude and happiness, yeah, I was all over that. So, uh, yeah, it's great to be here and it's great to kind of get involved. So thank you for having me. You know, obviously I knew part of your story, but not all of your story, because obviously we've had your wife Charlotte on as well. It's so, oh my God, when you just said all of that, I went, holy moly. So, you, you know, what I can see though is you've used that 
as your power, as your strength, is that, I mean, that sort of negativity, but you sort of flipped it and obviously pushed ahead regardless. And absolutely, I mean, people that say you can't and you, no, you are you, you do what you want to do. If you believe in it and you are passionate enough, you can achieve anything, really. Yeah, and I think you're right. And I think, and this is what a lot of people fail to realise, right? They'll take a comment or a statement and then they'll take that as being a legitimate or justifiable comment. And it's something that I talk about quite a lot, actually, is is how we speak to ourselves. And do you know what? We are, as human beings, we are some of the most critical creatures on the planet, right? I don't think there's anything else out there that criticises themselves <laughs> quite like we do, right? And the truth of the matter is, right, if we spoke to other people in the same way and mannerisms that we spoke to ourselves, we would end up either slapped or imprisoned, right? It, it really is that true. And so I try to promote that positive language inward. When I do something well, I congratulate myself. And that's really, really important. It's something that is, for some reason, I don't know why, but it's something that we seem to forget. We find it completely okay to speak to ourselves in such negative and harsh language that we wouldn't dream of speaking to anyone else like. So I try and dismiss that, and I try to make it a very yeah, my own inward approach very positive. When I left school, obviously, I went through every sort of emotion that any other 16-year-old has when you're basically told you're not going to be worth anything, which was always interesting. But then I joined the army and, and, you know, within 12 months of being in the army, I was a qualified engineer. Within 18 months, I was attached to the Desert Rats in the British forces. And then within two years, I was, you know, working as an attachment to search and evasion and the intelligence section of that battle group. So, you know... I've had a really interesting sort of military career, although it's not a massive part of my life. And it's actually not one I talk about in a great deal because it's actually quite small. Like my short period in the t- time in the army, I know people who've spent more time in, in, in the NAFI queue um, <laughs> compared to <laughs> the army as a whole. You know, so I don't like live on it. It's not one of these, I joined the army for five years and now I talk about it for the next 30. No, no, but I'm curious though. I'm curious, James, sorry to jump in, but you know, with what you were saying and obviously you were there and you had that progression, I'm hearing that obviously something happened, something connected when you were in the army, you know, based on obviously what you said before and we were just, you were talking about language and that self-talk and absolutely because the self-conscious doesn't recognise the negative. So you're just telling yourself all this rubbish and it's, you've got to be so mindful of all that. But obviously from having had that at school, this sort of you can't but then you went into the army what was it that resonated what happened in the army that enabled you to do and achieve all of that suddenly well I was a royal engineer so for anybody out there who's listening who has been a royal engineer they'll understand this statement adapt and overcome it's the ethos of the royal engineers adapt and overcome it was a mantra that we lived by and that really was the thing that I kind of took away from it right I didn't really take all the camaraderie away and all of that, because that's kind of a given. And I think when you're in any working environment, you create that. You don't necessarily need to be in the armed forces in order to achieve that. But for me, it's that adapt and overcome. So, I mean, I've always been a natural born problem solver anyway, because I'm I'm quite severely neurodiverse. I'm, I'm, I'm 41 years old. I can't read and write very well. I'm massively dyslexic, severely dyscalculate. So that problem-solving skill I've always had. So when I went into a wheelchair, I, I went, I don't know if you know the full story, but I basically had shingles in 2013. And then in 2014, a couple of months later, so November 2013, and then in January 2014, I, I went to bed on the 6th of January. And when I woke up the next day, I'd ruptured my spine. I'd caused catastrophic injury to my sensory nerves uh, in my lower limbs, and I woke up paralyzed. 
then I had this whole journey that I had to face. The, the, the mantra of adapt and overcome had never become more prudent in my life. Um, and I had to adapt to everything. I had to learn how to put my socks on. I had to learn how to dress myself. I had to learn how to reach the sink to clean my teeth. You know, it was everything had to be adapted. Everything, every tiny little task in my life had to be relearned. Places I'd been going for every day of my life were all of a sudden alienated to me because I had to think about, you know, I couldn't just jump up on a curve. I had to think about how I was going to negotiate that. And more to the point, when I woke up paralyzed, I didn't just have a wheelchair sat there waiting for me to jump into so that was also, like, yeah, these major adaptions that I had to then take on. And do you know, look, it's not all happy, right? It's not all tea and cakes. Do you know what I mean? Like this hit me hard. And and originally I was given two choices in, and you, you always receive two choices in life. And, I, and I, I, in my own head, thought that suicide was my only option. And that is exactly the path that I went down. Now, I am probably the biggest failure, Sarah, you'll ever meet. And, and I'm I'm the most proud I have ever been of it. And I go yeah. to schools and colleges and learn organisations. And I say to people, I am a failure and I love being a failure. Because let's be honest about this. If I was successful at everything I achieved in life, I would have been successful at suicide and I wouldn't be here. It's as simple as that. So failure is not always a bad thing. Yeah, absolutely. You learn from it. That taught me the positive attitude around actually failure is not a bad thing. Like you learn from failure, you can develop from failure, you can grow on failure and, and you know, everybody in life fails. And, and fortunately for me, so do I. So yeah, and then I just, from there, that was where the real fun started. That was where I just went, you know what? If life's gonna give me cards, I'm gonna go and play poker. I just went out and started doing all sorts of crazy stuff. And I loved every second of it. I, genuinely still love every second of it. <laughs> but it's, that's what it's about, Jamie, isn't it? It's about loving life. It's about seeing it through a different lens. Last year, I, and my listeners probably have heard me mention this, probably banging on to it about too many times, but I, I sort of reflected back on what COVID had impacted my sort of life, my career, my business, etc. And then as I looked at that, uh, what I recognised is what I've done my approach over life generally. And I coined a phrase, which I trademarked, which is my eight mindset methodology, which is acceptance, perspective and energy. So accepting what you can and you can't change shifting your perspective around it and channeling your energy accordingly so you're pushing your energy into stuff that's positive because like you've said you know if you focus in on that negative stuff that's all you get back whereas actually if you shift that focus around a bit and look at it from a different angle you've got learning you've got development and you know as you said you know you didn't succeed in everything but I think if you succeed at everything what are you actually learning because you're not learning from making mistakes are you and that's where you do the bumps in the road, all the stuff that comes up enables you to use the problem solving, use that adapt and overcome, think, use your brain, manipulate it because we aren't our behaviour. We can change our behaviour at any given time. I mean, I love my life and you sound like you love your life and you're doing all sorts of crazy stunts, even just as recently because, yeah, Everest Base Camp. I mean, come on. <laughs> How did that go? <laughs> Oh, do you know what? That was epic. I mean, I was famous once um, for being the man who climbed a mountain on his hands. And I, I'm still well known for that. Don't get me wrong, right? That was really what launched me out there as as this crazy guy who does crazy stuff and, and absolutely loves life. And that's not including the fact that I climbed Penny Van in a wheelchair. Sarah, I've done a lot of stuff. I throw myself out of an aeroplane. I've rowed up the River Wye. I've gone, you know, I've done everything from clay pigeon shooting, uh, wheelchair motocross. You know, I've done all sorts of like really cool adventure stuff and some of them have come close. 
to me, you know, my demise. But hey, you know, you live once, right? But Everest was that pinnacle thing. So I've always had goals and dreams, right? And this is a really cool story. So I'm going to share this with you. I have always had goals and dreams in life, right? Like, I, I dream I can do this. And, and that's my goal. And I want to achieve this. And I, and I dream about that. And these are one of some of the lessons that I learned on Everest. When I started learning how to walk again, when I was going through physio, and I had neurophysio, hydrophysio, electrophysio, electrostimulation treatment, you know, I had all of this like weird and wonderful things that, you know, and I was plugged into all sorts of different therapies and theories and treatments. I always had a common goal. I always had a dream was to climb Everest base camp. You know, I had the people going, you know, Jay, you may never do that. And I'm like, Maybe not, but I can't worry about that. And I had people saying to me, you know, you seem so comfortable being in a wheelchair. Like, you don't seem to want to get better. And I'm like, it's not about whether I want to get better or whether I don't want to get better. It's about I'm here right now. Like, I could sit down for 10 years and wait to get better. And then in 10 years' time, I'm still not better. And I'm sitting there thinking, I should have done all that stuff, right? I had all these opportunities that I turned down because I was waiting to get better. And that was why I did all the crazy stuff I'd done. And and that's why I went down that path. Everest was always that goal. And it was always that kind of thing, right? Everest base camp, that's what I'm aiming for. And, and, and I would do hours and hours and hours of physio. And then I started, you know, doing different sports involved with that. And I was using things like squash as part of my physiotherapy, et cetera, et cetera. Eventually, and bear in mind, this trip was canceled twice because of covid so we were due to go out in 2020 then 2021 and then in may uh the 6th 2022 we eventually got on the plane with the team we started our trek now that trek started basically with a landing into Lukla airport yes. which is the most dangerous <laughs> airport in the world i right? know i've seen it i've taken yeah. my hat off for you just taking the flight <laughs> well, whenever there's a moment to learn a lesson about trust it's that moment because I had to trust that the man flying the aeroplane knew what he was doing. There's only 11 pilots in the world trained to land at Lukla Airport, right? If they get it wrong on landing, you crash into a hotel. And if they get it wrong on takeoff, you crash into a hill. The margins are close, right? So we get there, we start the trek, and it's one day at a time, one step at a time. And there's a there's a saying in Nepal, pastadi uh, pastadi, and it means slowly, slowly. And the first lesson I learned was I was getting people passing me all the time. And I was thinking, am I not going fast enough? Am I not going quick enough? I should be going, should be putting more effort in. And then I'd get to the guest, the guest house or the tea room at the end of the walk and they'd all be there. And then I realized that, you know, what? actually, it doesn't matter how quick you get from A to B. The point is you get from A to B. And you know, just because they're getting there quicker, it doesn't mean that they're there any more than you are. It doesn't mean that they've made any more of an achievement because they've achieved it in less time, right? That's something that you can buy it's something that you can develop right so that was my first lesson and that real lesson was stop judging yourself jay because you're doing all right then we would see people that we were talking to the day before and we'd be having conversations with them and then the next day you'd see the group and that person would be missing and then you'd go oh what happened to so and so and so and so and they'd be like oh yeah he's been kazi backed off the mountain and then you would later learn that he'd been in a coma for four days or he had a blood clot on the lung or a blood clot on the brain. And we had lots of these little incidences on the way up as well. Severe sickness, severe altitude sickness. One girl, her oxygen levels dropped at 40%. So she's Kazi Bakhtar and is on oxygen for four days. You know, so lots of these things were happening all the trip up. And there's another lesson. Sometimes the slower you go, the better you adapt which actually makes you stronger. Well, your body's getting time to adjust, isn't it? Because it's 
you know, you're spending longer on there. You're actually, in fact, spending longer on there, you're experiencing more time on there. And as you say, your body's adapting slowly rather than being forced. Spot on. And so this was the trek going up. Now, Charlotte, my wife, who climbed it with me, she was by far the slowest member of our team, right? Now, normally that would be a weakness or considered a weakness. However, it was our greatest strength because the rest of the team was waiting and stopping and waiting for her to catch up because our ethos was to do it as a team and to go together. So by her being slow, it meant the rest of us were slow. And by all of us being slow, it meant going back to point A, we were acclimatizing a lot easier. So we get up and, you know, we, we're surrounded by people that have got absolutely nothing, right? The Nepalese people have got next to nothing. They're very minimalistic people. So we get up and eventually we go to Gorakshet, which is the highest town in the world. We spend some time there. Then we walk on to base camp. Now, base camp is slightly underwhelming, okay? It is a glorified campsite that's covered in this kind of grey, snowy sludge. It's effectively a brown ice cube with a rock on it that's been graffitied Everest Base Camp 5,364 meters, right? And yeah, you have your yeah. photograph with said graffitied rock, right? And when you, this is when you simplify it, right? And you look around you, don't be wrong, you're, you're, you're surrounded by like mountain-sized icicles, right? It's, that side of it is epic. And these ice cubes are holding up these like three, four, five ton rocks in the middle of the air, right? From all of that, it's great. But effectively, it's a campsite covered in grey sludge. I was a little bit underwhelmed. I was like, I've spent like a long time. <laughs> to get and I wasn't disappointed because I'd achieved my goal. But it was that I, I was missing something and I didn't yes. know what it was. Yeah, that perception of what it was going to be wasn't the reality, wasn't what you'd perceived. <laughs> Yes. And I've had a picture on my wall for years of Everest and, and base camp and the ice fall and, you know, the Kumba Valley and, you know, all of that loopsy in the foreground and all that going on. And then the next day we get up at 4.30 in the morning and we summit Kalapata, which is a, about 6,000 metres and it's a mountain kind of in the foreground of Everest. And whilst we were climbing up, we were watching people's head torches summiting Everest in the dark. You could see it. And we, then we watched the sun rise over Everest. Like one of the most epic scenes I've ever seen in my life. And then I had seen it. That was the epiphany. Because what actually formed in front of me was the picture I'd had on the wall all these years. The dream formed in front of me in the daylight. And I realized that actually, do you know what? We all have goals and we've got to set ourselves goals. But sometimes the goals are not necessarily the dream. The dream is what you perceive the goal to be, but it doesn't mean that the dream is impossible. It just means that sometimes you've got to look at the goal from a different angle. And I really learned that, like really learned that. I brought that away with me. And then on the way down, I have spasms. And on day two of descent, um, I had a massive spasm for about 25 minutes. I was absolutely exhausted afterwards. And usually um, after I have one of these spasms, I sleep for eight hours because my body is exhausted. Yes, of course. Except on this particular day, I had a three and a half hour trek to achieve down the mountain to Namtu. And in this time, this family took us into their home and they gave me sugar water and honey and lemon and biscuits and they gave me a place to rest. And these people have nothing. They live in a single room and yet they were still willing to take me in, look after me and get me back on my feet. And that is a real testament of people. It's a real testament of humanity and also a real testament of the Nepalese people and, and their community-based spirit. 
And so, yeah, these little moments are the moments I've taken away from Everest. I mean, everything else that kind of comes into it comes into its own. But those little moments will live with me for the rest of my living days. Sounds incredible. I mean, my friend Andy did Everest Base Camp as well. I've seen some of the, you know, I saw some of the photographs he brought back. I mean, the views and the images, just stunning. I mean, yeah, I mean, I was in India myself um, a few years ago and we went and met up with a yogi at the top of in Rishikesh and the, the idea was we went up early morning hopefully to have the views of the Himalayas in the distance because we we're in northern India but we didn't quite get that view but you still got this sort of it's just stunning absolutely stunning and I just would love to I'd love to see all of that I mean I've got I've got a friend who's done North Pole and South Pole as well I'd love to do that yeah, yeah. Well, you'll have to get in touch with my friend Fiona and Mike Thornywill they she ended up with an MBE for she did the South Pole on her own and ended up in the Guinness Book of Records and what have you and just like oh my god <laughs> crazy mad woman feet <laughs> crazy mad woman but she and her husband do yeah trips away trips and stuff like that so they do do these treks so you have to get in touch with them <laughs> it's me doing a bit of connections on 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 the podcast but obviously jamie i want i want to ask you how you did it though because obviously we've referenced the fact that you woke up and you were paralyzed but and and, and sort of what had happened but what what it what it was and where you're at now and how you've actually managed to do it because you've also talked about going up in a wheelchair but you, you were you were actually walking on this occasion at everest or how so what what happened what was it and how have you overcome it um to the point that you can actually you, you were able to i'm assuming walk on everest yeah so i did the everest on crutches you know, i've gone into a very small list of people that have achieved that on crutches uh which is cool I'm the first person with complex regional pain syndrome ever to do it, which is is also quite cool. So CRPS is the condition that I live with. But the journey's been a long journey, Sarah. There's, there's no, like, I can't butter coat it. Yeah? Like, lots of physio, lots of hard work, lots of tears, lots of anguish, lots of, you know, why me's. Lot, lots of all that's happened, right? But also lots of positive stuff, you know. So started to play squash in a wheelchair and then progressing to play squash on calipers and then later becoming the first person in the world ever to play squash with a lower body impairment against able-bodied players in a professional master's tournament. And wow. I've done that three. <laughs> That's amazing. Now, now I'm going to put a caveat onto that. I used to play squash from the age of nine and I ended up giving it up in more recent years because of how ballistic it is on your on your joints because I ended up having loads of physio myself because I was having lots of knee and back pain and stuff like that. And I just thought, no. So I take my hat off to you to be doing that with the disabilities that you've got because I just thought, hey, I've spent all this money getting my body right. I'm not about to... I have this habit of going for the ball and thinking it's a good idea to throw myself at the wall or on the floor sort of across just to make sure I get the shot. But, you know, that isn't how you really watch the professionals play. They don't move (laughs) the way I used to sling, chuck myself about the court. I learned some real skills around that, actually. So I, when, I, when I first started playing squash, I was looking at the, you know, the Emma Evanses of the world and the Tesney Evanses and the Peter Creeds and the, the, the Al Shabaggies and all these professional players. And, and as I used to run a show myself all about squash and, and I used to interview these people. I used to sit there and go, who am I trying to kid? Then I watched an elderly gentleman and he won't mind me saying that. He's a lovely, 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 lovely guy, Peter Perry. And I started watching him play and he's in his 80s. And I realised that actually, do you know what? He doesn't actually move around that much because he can't, right? He's got mobility issues. He's, he's of that age now. And then it dawned on me that I'd been watching the wrong people. 
I was trying to watch people of my age of, at, at their caliper. And what I should have been watching is watching people at their age at my caliper. And I learned a whole new method of game. And, and I don't run around so much now. And, and, and I own the key and I get the ball moving rather than me moving. And I make them move rather And, you know, it's, so it's always technique. Yeah. And I've learned these skills by watching other people. So, yeah, my dad always says, learn from other people's mistakes, son, because you can't live long enough to make them all yourself. And, and even though I'm doing that, <laughs> What a great philosophy. <laughs> Uh, I've tried my hardest, uh, but you know I'm still I'm still currently learning from other people. So it's all good. <laughs> yeah, so Aunt Dad's good. My dad said, and you mentioned cards at one point as well. And I, my dad said to me, "You can only deal with the cards that are in your hand at any one time. So whatever day presents, you deal with the cards that you've got on the table at that particular time." The other bit of advice he gave me when I was getting divorced: you've got to take your own counsel. In other words, whatever anybody else says, you've got to make your own decisions, and that is so so true. Everyone told me what I couldn't do. Right? Like I was constantly. Being- or I couldn't do and you know when I was all bit on crutches when I was walking up Everest I that was me showing the world actually you can I mean I'm not naive to go you know you can be anything you want to be well great because I'd love to be an eagle but it's not going to happen right? <laughs> yeah know, there is a reality not, check <laughs> yeah there's limitations on what you can or cannot be right and what you can and cannot achieve and I've got a lot of disabled friends and friends with mobility issues that wouldn't be able to do Everest, right? But then at the same time, nor would they want to. So that's cool as well, right? You know, there's all, you've got to have respect for that. People have climbed Everest Base Camp in a wheelchair, right? It has been done. It's not impossible. It's not easy, but it's not impossible. So... It's that solution-focused outcome thinking, and you were talking about that yourself, weren't you, about being um, a problem solver. You're a natural-born problem solver because of your dyslexia and your... So you start to use your brain in a different way. And actually, when you sort of think about that, and people who are dyslexic, they are creative and they have had to be because they start to think differently. And this, we're all unique individuals. We all learn differently. We're all different by the experiences that we've had, even if we've got the same learning styles. But it's how you use that and when you recognise that. And that's we're all unique. We're all different. We've, and that's what's so wonderful about us. And that's why collaboration comes in, because you can work together where somebody's got a strength and you've got a weakness, but you can make it happen it's having that self-belief and not allowing other people to say you can't because you can if you really want if you're really powered up enough about something and you go you know what sod it no i'm going to do it i'm going to make it happen it can happen it's that mindset and yeah just not accepting no (laughs) you're right and 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 i think sometimes this is it's a very key message to give to people is we are all amazing beings right we're all amazing creatures we you know granted some of us are creatures of habit or some of us are creatures of conformity but we're all amazing individuals and unfortunately there are other people out there that don't allow that to shine and don't allow that to come through and and that says more about them than it does about you you know like when i i have this kind of philosophy in life take it as you will but it's certainly how i live I believe that if someone comes into my presence, whether it be a passing meeting, whether it be a job, whether it be an interview, whether it be a podcast, whether it be a talk, whatever it is, right? My responsibility is that that person leaves feeling a better person than they were when they joined. When we have staff coming and working for us, the first thing I ask them is, what are you gonna do when you leave us? Where do you wanna be? I don't want you to stay with me for the rest of your life. It's it's impractical. I want you to come in, I want you to work with me, I want you to learn everything that you can physically learn, I want you to develop every skill that you can physically develop, and then I want you to go out there and find a better job. 
I want you to go out there and find a better opportunity for yourself. I want you to move on. I want you to be successful. And a lot of people, they don't know how to take it. They don't know how to react. To it. And they, they seem almost confused by it. And, and we had a young girl working for us, Danielle. And we absolutely adored Danielle. She was gorgeous in every way. And she came to work first and she was with us for three months. And I said that exact statement to her when, when she came. Now, she'd gone for a job before she got with us and she was offered 20 grand a year for that job, right? I came in, she told me what she wanted to do. She wanted to work in marketing. I put her on every course I could. I put her through everything that I could get her on, every networking I've got her developed. Three months later, she got approached by the same company. They offered her a six grand pay rise. Now, Holy moly, yes. responsibility of us as human beings. That's what we are here to do and develop. And if I can do that, then great. If it takes me to climb Everest to show people that you can do something, if you put your mind to it, I'll climb Everest again tomorrow. If my job as an individual was to is to, to show people that they can achieve and that they can develop, and if I had to go through the journey that I've had to travel in order to, so that one person goes, actually, I'm going to do it because Jamie's done it then I'll go through that journey again. That's how I look at things. And that's how I look at every situation. There's a reason for it. When I went through cancer, I, I went through cancer in 2017. It was the same thing. You know, I went through that treatment, halfway through that treatment. My mum got diagnosed with a three and a half inch brain tumor. So we went through that journey together. If it hadn't have been for me having cancer, I would have probably never moved home with my mum because I would have needed the support. And in which case I would have found my mum dead on the living room floor when she'd collapsed. So would I have cancer again? Yeah. Yeah, I would, if it meant that I was going to save someone's life and change someone's life. So I have a very unique outlook on life, Sarah. I don't... No, I think we've got a... Yeah, I think we've got a very similar mindset, to be fair, Jamie. You know, it, it is... I think everything happens for a reason. There's something to be learned from everything, and I'm all for supporting everybody else. I had my... I don't know if you've heard of um, Roger Hamilton, but I had my profiling done. He does it based on... It's an energy-based system called the I Ching. But I'm a star supporter, so I love supporting people to be the best person that they can be. And I've got this like, blaze dynamo energy. Zero steel energy, but thankfully my office manager has got all steel energy, so we're sort of shifting around one. But it is... And that's what my... That the beauty of working as a coach is, is working with people and enabling them in the same way that you did with Danielle, to let them see what they've already achieved and enable them to see what they can achieve when they set their mind to it and help them put these processes in or these things in place that will get that ball rolling and that sort of chain reaction if you like of events happening I mean I started working with a new coaching client last week and as soon as she got back one of the things that we discussed and we'd outlined that she needed as an action point by the time she got back home she was messaging me going oh my god that information I was going to go into the person's already contacted me with the information that I was going to need to apply for all this grant funding that was was required for what she's doing as part of her foundation this is what happens it's that intention setting like you were saying you've got these dreams you've got goals you've got dreams and because you've put that there it will happen and you know there's nothing better than supporting other people to see that and understand how it works and we were with Mark Wright yesterday the apprentice winner owns a company called Climb Online and, and he's a great guy and I, I go on really really well with Mark and he said this statement, he said, birds of a feather flock together. And what he was basically saying is if you surround yourself with positive people, you'll be positive. If you surround yourself with negative people, you'll be negative. If you surround yourself with successful people, you'll be successful. If you surround yourself with unsuccessful people, you're going to become unsuccessful. And it's really true. It's a really genuine statement. That single statement kind of tied it all together. So it's something else that I'm very much about is, you know, keeping the radiators and getting rid of the drain pipes, that kind of thing. 
But I'm very much about all of that. I think if you put out positivity, positivity is returned quite easily. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think the thing is with the people that you referenced that being who are negative, I think what happens is when they see people doing positive stuff or doing things, what it is doing is reflecting back to them the work that they need to do on themselves. And because they don't want to or they haven't recognised that that's what's happening, because obviously it's all happening to a subconscious level, that then they are putting you down or they're criticising or they're being negative because that is easier than them addressing what they need to do to keep rising up with you. But the whole purpose of life, in my belief, is to keep rising up your level of awareness, of enlightenment as you progress to, through life and you understand and you see things. And as you start to see stuff, like you've recognised, like you, you know, you radiated in your drains, and you, you're not wanting to be around negative. You, you can't have these people in your orbit. You can't have them around you because with the best will in the world, although you're quite happy to pull them up you can't go down there to pull them up you have to bring them up if they want to come up you can help them up but you can't go down to help them up that's a massive point there, right there you know like there's an old like i say this i i got a lot of these little statements there that i say all the time and, and one of them is if someone is dragging you down they have to be below you and if someone is holding you back they have to be behind you they, they can't physically do it otherwise right so let them go let them be below you let them be behind you rise above it move forward let them go because you don't deserve to be dragged back. You don't deserve to be dragged down. You deserve to be, everyone deserves the right to be successful, whatever that image of success looks like for them. And I truly, truly believe that. And that sings a, a merry song to me. So yeah, some very clear messages there. And, and it's this is why I love doing interviews rather than me just do a talk. <laughs> yeah, me too. It's great, isn't it? And I, this is why I love doing this podcast because I have amazing conversations with people like yourself, Jamie. And I get to sort of, you know, have these discussions, hear your viewpoint and mirror it and have a, have an interaction. And it just, I get so excited. It raises my vibrational frequency and then it, that radiates out. And, and you know what that is. I mean, in the metaphysical, it's going out and it's radiating out and you're pushing that out there. And don't get me wrong. I mean, like you said, I mean, I've got businesses and things. That, yeah, oh, my God. God, but you know what? You just think, right? Let's deal with it. There's no point sort of spending too much time on the sort of the negative, anything rubbish that's happening. You go, like, okay, what do we need to do? What's going to happen? Let's accept it because everything happens for a reason. We're going with the flow. We're working through it. It will come out. Everything's happening. Oh my God, it's too, but but it's good. It's happening. I'm enjoying it. Shut up, Sarah. You know. Yeah. <laughs> and I'll do that. In the middle of every challenge, like, and I don't know where, I don't know why I do it, but halfway through every challenge I think I've ever done, I've always said to myself, whose stupid idea was this? And then I realised it was my stupid idea. And now I'm in, now, you know, now I've played my dice and I've, I've got to roll it. And I've always achieved them. So, yeah, I'm very lucky. But I am surrounded by incredibly positive people. And, you know, I can sit down and talk about that all day long, but we, we've only got a couple more minutes left. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but I think the key message is if you want to be happy and you want to be positive, then surround yourself with the people that make you happy and make you positive. If you want to be successful, surround yourself with successful people. If you want to be better than you are, then surround yourself with people that are going to make you better than you are. That is the key message. You know, you can't do it on your own. We're not robots. We're designed to mold and to adapt and to develop. Don't be told that you can't do something. Don't be put down. No one has the right to do that to you. No one has the right to do that. Any less right to put you down as they have to touch you inappropriately, right? They don't have the right to do it. So utilize that and own that and go, do you know what, actually, I am Jamie McCanchin. I am an amazing individual. And that is what I'm burning and that is what I'm growing towards. That's my message. Exactly. And that's brilliant. I mean, I, I love the way you've put all of that. And people can have that and, you know, use that about themselves and speak to yourself. You know, you are great. Accept who you are because we're all born equal. You know, it's what you make of it and the life experiences that you have. It's, 
it's so empowering to have that sort of you know that knowledge that you you, you know you, you are responsible for you you make yourself happy don't let anybody else sort of pull you down and if anybody tries to let them pass through your life you don't need to be with them or accept what they're saying I know it can be challenging and it's, it can easy be easier said than done at times but it's about taking action as well you know it's, it is about shifting the mindset but also taking action and living your truth because you know it's your life at the end of the day isn't it how do people get in touch with you jamie as strange as this sounds like listen google me right i'm everywhere i can't get away from it but if you do want to get in touch it's jamie at cnobounds.co.uk i'm all over social media and if you don't know how to spell my name literally google me you can't lose me and i'm more than happy to connect with anybody I have to say, Jamie, McCanch doesn't sound very Welsh, though. No, it's Scottish. <laughs> but you've got a nice heavy Welsh accent there. <laughs> yeah, I try to. Um, my father's from East Kilbride, so, yeah, I've got, I've got Celtic roots. It doesn't matter where it's where I'm from, so I've got Celtic roots. That's oh, well, I, I wish I had, because I, I do feel very much at home in South Wales. That's my favourite place. It's wonderful. Absolutely yeah, wonderful. it's lovely. It's oh, lovely. Thank you so much, Jamie. It's been um, absolutely brilliant having you on, and I know my listeners will have thoroughly really enjoyed listening to you talk because it's so empowering and motivating inspiring obviously as james said if you want to get in touch please do sort of google his day we'll go to see no bounds or you'll find him there. that's c as in s double e not as in the one that you swim in and you've got waves at so just to make that clear uh, so anyway thank you for listening so this has been myself sarah jane Ayler, at i've forgotten the name of a podcast now harnessing happiness <laughs> you see we can all make mistakes <laughs> i was going to give you my business name there um, um, and you can find me at www.sarahjnaylor.com and all over social media as well if you want. But uh, if you've liked this episode, please do rate and review, follow, subscribe, whatever you do on your platform. And until next time, thank you so much for listening. Take care and lots of love from me. Thanks for listening to the Harnessing Happiness podcast with Sarah J. Naylor. If you took value from the content, please follow the show on your podcast app. And to find out more about Sarah's ape mindset, visit sarahjnaylor.com. That's sarahjnaylor.com. Come.